You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Welcome in, listeners of the Teak Nation Podcast. Alex Swinson, Donnie Aldrich here. It's been... A little while since we've been together. If you'll recall, last week was just Donnie doing the intro on the uh, on the interview, and then two weeks ago was just me on the interview. Feel like we've spent quite a bit of time apart, but now we are in a way back together. We're both back in the office. Seven four three nine Woodland Drive has reopened from the pandemic of the last well fifteen months, but we're 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 sitting in our own separate offices. So I can see you on Zoom. We're sitting about. I don't know, 25 yards apart, but a lot of doors and walls between us. Well, luckily, I think that our podcast studio is going to get freshened up. It's going to get a little polish, and it has been a long time since that podcast room has gotten a little bit of work. And if you're curious, you're thinking, wow, we're paying dues or we're investing in the the headquarters and they have this giant podcast studio. It's essentially a broom closet that we have put put a couple microphones in, and it's extremely cozy but it does get the job done. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, good acoustics in there. We got the foam up on the wall, which is nice. It's a, it's a good little setup, but yeah, for now, just sitting up here in my 735 square foot director of education suite and Donnie at his cubicle, if you can even call it that, it's really just a desk with a wall trying to be out amongst the people as CEO, which I respect. So I think everyone's Everyone's just happy to be back. I've seen some friendly faces this morning that I have not seen in person for what feels like decades. And, uh, and we got, it's a nice, uh, nice brisk 50 or so outside today. It's not, you know, it'd be a bummer to have to, to get up and get in the office for the first time in in a year and a half. It was just pouring down rain and in like 37 degrees. So someone's looking out for us. There's not a cloud in the sky, my man. And when you work in literally a glass house, that is, that's a great day to come to work. All right, where do you want to start? Open to wherever you want to take us, our fearless leader. Well, that's dangerous. Let's uh, let's start with a little recap of last week's interview. I know last week was uh, was a bit of a, a shortened episode. We wanted to focus on Andrew and, and his accomplishment, which is pretty impressive, you could say. Um, what what did you pull out? Of, I mean, what I know you enjoyed talking to him. I enjoyed talking to him. But um, what did you pull out of that that? has stuck with you or maybe you've been thinking more about for the last couple of weeks since we spoke with him. It's very interesting to me how people get interested or excited in certain, certain areas, right? People who, even if it's as simple as they enjoy fishing because their dad fished or they fished with their family, whatever it is. So uh, for him to talk about how he essentially through the fraternity became interested in, in mountain climbing, I thought was, was a really nice uh, way to tie it together to to our organization. But the piece that I really thought was cool is how he talked about how the mountains were calling him. And, and I know that I asked the question towards the end of the interview, but it felt almost like a religious experience for him in terms of this deep respect that he has for the mountain. And obviously when you're putting your life in danger and, and you're pushing the limits of your body, 
you have to have respect for whatever it is that's pushing back against it. But to hear him talk about that experience and essentially it just seemed like he is his happiest when he is on a mountain climbing. And to hear somebody talk like that, doing something they, that they love, that gives them so much satisfaction, it's, uh, it's inspiring, but just makes you, it just made me feel good uh, after we ended our interview with him. Yeah, I, I agree. It was uh, very, very uplifting to listen to him. It's funny, I, by complete coincidence, yesterday I was scrolling through- Climbed a mountain? I did not accidentally climb a mountain. No, I was scrolling through Reddit, which I know you uh, you you maybe have dabbled a little bit in the Reddit, but you still you're not as deep into into Reddit as I am. Um, was scrolling through Reddit, and there was a question on a, on the Ask Reddit thread that was, "What something?" It was, "What something that has that so many people have done that it's been ruined?" Something along those lines. One of the top answers was climbing Mount Everest. And there was a whole thread about how there's so many people that want to climb Everest now because it just seems like a cool thing to do. If you look up photos of the top of Everest, and I'm curious, I want to ask Andrew about this if and when we get him back on, hopefully after he accomplishes that that feat. But if you look at photos of the top, there's there's a huge line to get up there. There's tons of people. It it really, in a way, looks like it's become overcrowded at the top of Mount Everest, which is interesting when you think about the danger and the, the, the skill it takes to get up there. All that is to say that clearly that's not Andrew. This is something that he is passionate about, that he is devoted to. He doesn't look at Everest as something that would be cool to do to, to check off that. Well, it, it is something he's going to check off his list, but it means much more to him than, than just waking up someday, which my understanding is at this point, there are people out there most likely with money, have a little bit of climbing experience and say, ah, oh, heck, I'll, I'll pay the 25K, 50K, whatever it is to get myself a tour guide and get to the top of that mountain. Um, and, and he just is, is so much the opposite of that. He's somebody who cares about nature and the world around him and, and, and feels that like you said, with within nature and, and in those settings, I just thought it was really, really interesting. And to your point, yeah, how people get into things is is weird because if you golf, for example, people who don't golf probably probably look at it and say, how could you ever get into that sport? It's so expensive, it takes so much time, it takes so much energy. Some people might even claim that it's boring from time to time, which there might be a little validity to that. But but to us who golf a lot. And, and enjoy the sport. It's it's just another thing you do. You go out and you play 18 holes where playing 18 holes for someone who's never picked up a golf club might be version of climbing Mount Everest. I don't want to relate those two too closely. So, but again, to Andrew, he just grew up climbing. It's just what he does. He's got the equipment. He's got the supplies. He understands how it works. He understands what he needs to do. I thought that was, it was just really cool to get that, that other perspective of a different, a, a different hobby that I've never even thought about that to him just seems to come so second nature. Well, and I can only assume that he worked his way into that position of having the equipment and all that good stuff, right? You mentioned golf, and that's something from experience that I know I can talk about. Having hand-me-down clubs when I started and playing at a, a course where I believe it was $200 for the entire year, my parents bought me a pass when I was a kid, $200. They would just drop me off there every day. Well, that's the greatest babysitter all summer that that ever occurred. They're paying for just that 90 days, right? They're paying $2, two and a quarter for me to to be there all day. And so it really wasn't a large cost. Then obviously, as you continue to elevate in the game a little bit, 
you start to invest in equipment and shoes and clothes, you know, all the craziness. And so then it, yes, it absolutely can become expensive, but I am assuming that as in many hobbies, there is a beginner level and then there is an advanced level. And obviously as you get closer to the advanced level, the costs go up and the investment of time goes up and the expertise and all that good stuff. Was that Augusta national that $200 for the summer pass? That was not, that was Ray Park golf course in beautiful Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, yeah. great deal. Heck that of a is, deal, my bad. man. I'd pay $200 to, to golf all summer. Unfortunately, I have to work, which can be a, a bit of a downer at times. But we're back in the office, so so that's helpful. Those days are over, my man. It's all up from here. We got to grow great. this organization. We got to set her ablaze. No get time. Some more, get some more members in here. Get people hitting their goals, people reaching their potential. Why would I pay $200 to golf all summer when we have goals to hit? That's right. That's right. We're on the same page. Good. We're on the same page. Anything else from Andrew? I really appreciate it, Tom. I can't wait to hear that he crushed it. And I know there was another mountain he was going to climb while he was out there. I can't wait to hear about that. And just to follow his journey a little bit more now that we've got to know him a little bit and hopefully being able to pull back the shades for, for our listeners to get to know him a little bit. He'll have more people who are cheering him on. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy to talk to somebody who's literally 17,000 feet above sea level on the highest mountain on planet earth really puts the where in the world is Zach Scott segment to, to shame with Zach sitting in Tampa for the last six months through no fault of his own. And then we go and bring in Andrew and Nepal to steal the spotlight there, steal his thunder, so to speak. It does make you think, should we start a where in the world is Andrew Hughes climbing segment? That might be a little more invigorating. That, to listen. I mean, we could, we could look into it. I'm sure he'd be happy to oblige. All right, we do have another uh, really good interview coming up this week as well with Dr. Richard Halgen. That is uh, in relation to Mental Health Awareness Month, which is the month of May. I know we talk a lot about our months and our, our weeks on this podcast, but that's one that is, I think, keenly important every year, but specifically the last couple of years with all of the mental health challenges going on in the world. I think college students specifically have been hit hard. I think fraternity men have been hit hard in a lot of ways. And so had a chance to talk with Dr. Halgen. He's a, uh, a clinical psychologist. He works at UMass Amherst in Massachusetts. Um, also is a professor there, teaches classes. He is a teak, somebody who was initiated in the, into the fraternity a few years ago. He tells that story in the interview, which I thought was, was really cool as well. But I'm um, looking forward to, to sharing that with you all and, and want to make sure that we do draw some attention there to the, the mental health awareness because it's important. It's important to take care of yourself. It's important to seek help if you need it. And, and the hope is, as we're, again, on the backside of COVID here, that things can start to perk up. Weather's changing. Spring has sprung. And, you know, Listening to Dr. Halgen will uh, will add a little bump to that mental health as well. We uh, we also missed the NFL draft recap last week, which I know is probably why most people tuned in, and then they had to listen to Andrew talk about climbing a mountain, and now that's why they're tuning in this week. It was a couple weeks ago. We've had some time to reflect on the NFL draft. Any significant takeaways for you as a fan of the Indianapolis Colts or a fan of NFL football in general? It appeared that the Jets had a good draft. Let's let's hit some other markets outside of, of this one. It appears the Jets had a good draft, which is which is nice because we know a number of Jets fans, especially with the amount of chapters, yes. amount of chapters we have in the Northeast, yep. and even a council member who's a Jets fan. And so 
it would be nice for them to be a little more relevant. I would like to see them give the Patriots a, a little more of a challenge out there in the AFC East. Uh, but I did, I think the Colts draft real quick on that. I think the Colts draft really depends if they're able to hit one of these veteran left tackles. If they yep. are, if they sign Eric Fisher or uh, if they're able to sign Leno, then, then the draft looks a lot better. And, and the other aspect is obviously uh, Dio, who uh, at a bongo, I think I said that right. He's from Vanderbilt. And I, I, I don't, I don't think you did. I didn't. Okay. Well, I figured if I went fast I and said, I think I said it right. Then I think no it's Odengbo. 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 How do you know you said it right? Because I, I know, I know. Cause I know. Okay, perfect. And if he recovers from his Achilles injury fully, even if that's not until October, November, December, then that in, in produces, then it could turn out to be a really successful draft, but it wasn't anything that was extremely inspiring off the top because, as you know, I'm a huge wide receiver fan. And oh, I know. We, yep. we continue to not make it a priority and then continue to watch the fact that we don't have any playmakers at the end of the year when you get in the playoffs. And it's about, you know, who can beat press coverage and make big plays, big moments. So I agree. I like the Jets draft. Zach Wilson, they uh, traded up to grab the, the guard out of USC. Shout out to our friends at, at Beta Sigma. Got Elijah Moore in the second round, who I know you would have enjoyed the Colts drafting. Speedy little wide receiver out of Ole Miss. So I do think the the Jets are are looking a little better. They have they drafted Denzel Mims last year, Makai Becton. They, they actually had a pretty good draft last year outside of the not having a quarterback. They've also moved on from Adam Gaze, which perhaps is the number one offseason move that any team made. Justin Fields to the Bears was – I'm not a Bears fan – I just I know a lot of Bears fans and and I I don't I don't care for their attitude toward football although I like them as people. I think Justin Fields, I mentioned this, could be the best quarterback in the entire class. I thought the Bears did very very well to move up and grab him. Somebody on this podcast right now threw a little fiver on Justin Fields to the Bears at plus 1100 before the draft, which was yeah, a nice little $55 payday not to brag that I have since spent on other NFL futures, defensive rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, Super Bowl champion. Um, we're, we're getting into NFL future season, which is one of my personal favorite seasons outside of spring and fall. So uh, that was a, that was a good move. And I, you know, the whole like, Oh, Andy Dalton still our starter derp, derp, derp is absurd. Justin Fields is going to start the entire season and, and he's going to be fantastic. I think with, with Allen Robinson, um, Mac Jones, I do not think is going to be good. I don't think he's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. I don't think he's going to do anything special for the Patriots, which for me was great to see because I'm as big a Patriots hater as there is out there. And for them to think that they got their quarterback in the field, I mean, they're going to waste four or five years on that guy, just waiting for him to be good. You can save this podcast. You can bookmark this. You can write down what I'm saying. He's just a, he's, Man, he's, are he's you? like, he's okay. He's fine. But to think that that's your next Tom Brady is absurd. We, I already talked about the ridiculousness that that would have been the 49ers drafting him at three. I'm glad they didn't for their sake, but I, I just, the guy is like, I mean, he's a good, he's a fine pocket passer. You look at uh, some other good pocket passers, in the end, I mean, if, if he turns out to be Jared Goff, right? Like Jared Goff has a stronger arm than, than Mac Jones, but Jared Goff's a fine quarterback. He's not going to lead your franchise to multiple Super Bowls. They almost won a Super Bowl with him, which was good. But since then, it has not gone as well. And then they traded him to the Lions. I just, 
I don't see it with Mac Jones. You, I know that you're you're an Alabama diehard fan, so I don't mean to offend you. you got your crimson tie on there today, but um, it's just you play with fire anytime you start to doubt someone who goes to New England. That's all. You just play with fire. That's all. They have a you'd be right draft record the last ten years too. Which yeah, I look. I could be wrong. Could always be wrong. I, I just, I don't see it with Mac Jones. Who's he going to throw to? I mean, they signed a bunch of guys, but they, they, have hundred, they have signed two, they signed two tight ends. They have two I, tight wanted, ends I wanted the Colts to sign. Yeah. I will. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit right. it. I don't know. Let's how keep, many Let's keep moving. Signed. Let's keep moving. You don't want to talk about Mac Jones anymore. No. All right. I do. You don't know this is happening or about to happen. I'm going to propose live a fantasy football trade in our dynasty league to you right now. Are you ready for it? I've been looking at my roster, been thinking about how I want to, how I want to make some moves potentially. If, upgrade. If you're like most of the other people in our fantasy football league, this is going to be the absolute most ridiculous trade ever known to man, because most of the ones that get sent my way are, you know, three sticks of chewing gum for a brand new Ferrari. It's, Go ahead. It's not, it's not a ridiculous trade, but I think you're going to say no, but I'm willing to negotiate. All right, here we go. This will like my children. This, go ahead. This will pique your interest. Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Miles Sanders coming from me to you for Calvin Ridley and Jonathan Taylor. That's a quick no. Okay. I, do you, you understand want... that Jonathan Taylor was the third leading rusher last year in the NFL, and he literally didn't even do anything for the first eight weeks? You understand Lamar Jackson has the potential to be QB1 fantasy football by 40 points. I mean, sure. Miles Take Sanders, solid top 20 running back. Mark Andrews, top three tight end. I'd it's a no for me. I feel, like it's, I feel like it's pretty legitimate. You don't want to negotiate. You don't want to replace any players. Well, we can talk about it off air. I've got to, I've got to take some time to digest how poor the, the trade is and if there's any possibility of salvaging it. All right. Well, you had your chance. Don't come, don't come crying to me when Lamar's running for 200 yards a game this season ripping it down the field to Rashad Bateman, which was promise, maybe my promise, favorite pick of the first round. I promise to not come crying to you. you Rashad Bateman is going to have a Justin Jefferson-esque impact on the NFL this year. Hey, you drafted Justin Jefferson last year in our rookie league, didn't you? Oh, man. you talk. So I did the GM thing that I want the Colts to do. I drafted too many wide receivers. Drafted all the wide receivers. I drafted all the wide receivers and – held on to most of them. And the one person that I dropped off after two or three weeks, cause he had done literally nothing was him. So yes, that was a poor trade. I decided to, I think, hang on to T Higgins instead of uh, yeah. Justin Jefferson, which looks really stupid. Now it didn't look as dumb when season was three weeks in and the Bengals were off to a decent passing start with Joe Burrow. Oh, well live and learn. That's right. Tell you what, we're, I mean, we're, we're starting, we're starting to creep into fantasy football season and I don't want to turn this into a fantasy football podcast, but there, there's going to be some fantasy football talk. So if you're not in a fantasy football league and you listen to this podcast, go ahead and sign up for one or two this fall and just ride, ride it out with us. Don't turn your nose up. Oh, I don't want to listen because we're talking about fantasy football. Just start playing fantasy football. You'll, you'll be a lot happier. Well, you'll be a lot more miserable on Sunday, but you'll be a lot happier listening to this podcast. Anything else before rule of three? Let's hit the rule of three. Rule of three. All right. This is a fun one for me personally to come up with. So this is in honor of, of Andrew and his interview last week. I want to know what you consider to be your three most impressive physical accomplishments. Climbing Everest notwithstanding, your three most impressive physical accomplishments of your life. This will be interesting because 
I don't feel like I have three good contenders. I really don't. You want? Do you want me to go first so you can get a little vibe for what I'm thinking? Well, I feel like yours are going to be more impressive than mine, so I'd rather I you go second. I, you know, the the ability to still train and run and cut and jump and do those types of things five six days a week, I feel really good about. I know that that's not measurable, right? Of I'm running a you know five two forty or right? It's not, it would be five two. It'd be horrible. Not running a four three forty, a four four forty. But to be able to continue to do that, I feel really good about that. Um, and then I think I would go back to, oh, I think it was high school out when I ran a five, five twenty-five mile. Yeah. See, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's two. This I understand. Two. I don't think I have, I don't think you I don't have, have a third. third. I don't have a third one because it's, what, you what's know. your, what's your, what is your career best round of golf? Oh, you're counting that. Yeah. It's a physical accomplishment. It's a sport ah, despite what some yeah, people may true. think. 66. There you go. That's, I mean, it's easy. Was that Ray right. Park? No, Heartland Crossing, my man, where you live, in your neighborhood. In my neighborhood. See, a lot of people probably didn't realize I, I live near a golf course. Now they, that combined with my, my director of education suite I mentioned earlier, that uh, seems to just get bigger by the day. It really makes it, it seems like you live a much different lifestyle than I know the one you live. You also, between the two of us, people would have imagined I live on a golf course, but I don't. I don't live within 15 minutes of one. That's right. I live much closer to a golf course then Donnie. All right. My, my three, I did deadlift 500 pounds in high school, which that's impressive. I was pretty good at the time. See, this is why I let you go. That's why I went first. Uh, my golf accomplishment. I wanted to include, I did last summer shoot under par on nine holes of golf one time in my life, which that's pretty good. It was a back nine at, at the aforementioned Heartland crossing, a birdie 10 and then parred the rest of the way and shot 35. So that to me was, was good. And I was about a year ago, I was looking at my, going back through my scores. It was about a year ago and I have not touched that since. Gotta get back, gotta get back in the lab. Um, and then lastly, what, so I, I do talk about this semi-often, but uh, have, have run 12 half marathons in the last four years, which has kept me at least from ballooning up over, I don't know, 400 pounds given my other lifestyle decisions, but gotta, gotta balance it out. So it is extremely impressive. Well, and I signed up for a marathon that I'm not going to run, which that doesn't count for anything other than you. Sign, I mean, anyone can sign up for a marathon. They're not going to run. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you have full respect for the, the mental strength it took me just to sign. I've been thinking about running a marathon for three years now. And every time I get, I get in there and I talk myself out of it. I talk, oh, I can't do it. I don't have time to train. I don't have the, I can't run two half marathons. Right. I, I, I respect that, but I, I think it's time power. to just sign up for a different marathon and let's be done with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look around. We'll see. We'll see what I can find. I'm not running something with hills. That's where I draw the line. You do get to run down the hill too. You understand that? Well, you can't run a. I mean, I guess you could run a full marathon downhill. I mean, that's pretty much what uh, what Andrew's going to do coming down Everest. So, <laughs> it's a perfect comparison. I yeah. guess it is possible. All right, couple couple teat corner highlights that are worth mentioning for those out there that are still locked in on the day-to-day of the fraternity. We are coming up on the end of the fiscal year. There's there's maybe a did you know, Teak's fiscal year runs June 1st to May 31st. So we are three weeks. Close, three closing weeks. in. We, we love everything in threes in the fraternity, right? We have three weeks. Three weeks from today into the fiscal year. Fiscal year actually ends on Memorial Day, which could present some issues. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. 
But with that being said, got to get those annual reports in, got to make sure that those are submitted so that we have a good grasp on what every chapter has done and accomplished in the last 350-ish days from, from right now. Uh, those are due May 15th. Make sure those initiates get logged. If you have those outstanding candidates, get those in. Award applications are also due on May 15th. Those, uh, the Top Teak Award application is in conjunction with the annual report. So that'll all be done at once, but any individual awards, top deep recruiter, top deep individual, May 15th need to be in. And then let's start thinking about the summer. Let's get into the summer and what we're doing to prepare and plan for recruitment in the fall cannot start soon enough. And we're going to keep plugging it because every opportunity you have to prep for fall recruitment needs to be taken and executed upon. Zach Scott, we've missed him. It's been a week or two since we've spoken with him. Want to make sure that he knows how much more impressive Andrew's Where in the World is Andrew Hughes segment was. But uh, we still like Zach and we still enjoy talking to him. Let's bring him in. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. I was uh, just adoring the salute. I really appreciate it. How, how was your week off? Week off? Yeah, last week. You weren't, you weren't on the on podcast the last week. Oh, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, I was good. I was like, man, I don't, I don't remember us getting a week off um, from work, but uh, yeah, it was. It was good. Uh, got to be productive in the mornings, and uh, yeah, I mean, I missed it. Don't get me wrong. Shots uh, fired here at the Teak Nation podcast. Yeah, you know this. This whole anywhere from two to nine minutes, you know, really cuts out a lot of time. But yeah, uh, I figured, you know, most <laughs> most Mondays when you're on with us, you know, you just clear the whole morning off for the you know you, you, you got to get in mind. You guys know how it is. You, know, you got to get in a great headspace. I tell you warm up. You got to wind down. The adrenaline's pumping hard, and you just got to take some time to clear your head. Maybe meditate after. That makes sense. This is a great PSA for remote working. You know what? I, yeah, I do. I, I do want to let you know. Full disclosure: we've been ragging on you pretty hard this morning because we we did have uh, we did have Andrew Hughes on last week from Mount Everest, and the segment is where in the world is Zach Scott, and and you really have not move from that location and all the time we've been talking to you. And then here comes Andrew just be bopping in from 17,000 feet. It, it, it undercut your, your stick a little bit, I would say. Oh man. Tear coming to my eye. Um, actually next Monday I should, uh, I, I should be on the road. So uh, we'll see Who knows where somewhere in the South. Um, got to drive to Texas and then hey, back. So. Tease, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Tease, tease it out. Tease it out. He's not going to be in Tampa. You have to tune in to see where That's he's true. going. That's very true. Yeah. You got to, got to come back. Who knows where I'll be. I could be, I could be at your doorstep. You never know. Probably not. Well, that's, that's, it's a little, little creepy, but, uh, we'll just stick, Listen. we'll just stick with, you'll be somewhere else. There you go. It's good. It's a good start. Zach, I'm curious, as we start to get toward the end of the fiscal year, we've had this, we, we typically have these conversations at the end of a calendar year, at least that's when many people do the reset evaluation, but I want to do it as we get towards the end of the fit to the fiscal year. What are areas that you are working on for your own self-improvement? What are areas that you felt good in terms of throughout 2021 to this point that you've made, you've made changes? I know we talked about uh, goals the beginning of the year when we turn the calendar what are things you feel good about and what are areas you're still looking to self-improve yeah I think the the biggest one that should probably not come as much of a surprise as far as coming from point a and getting to point b is zoom communication right I mean that was something that sure a lot of us had been on skype calls and other things with groups from time to time 
but really diving in and, and getting good at how do you continue to find ways to connect to the person via a screen, right? And maybe not just one person, but maybe it's 50 people or maybe it's 200 people if it's an RLC session or um, an ABA session or, or who knows what, but finding ways to, to stay on top of that, stay on top of how you're constructing your sentences, what you're saying, all of those pieces, extremely important. Um, and I think one of the pieces to continue working on moving forward is how do you get back right into the realm of human interaction? For me, I, I don't see it being a massive struggle, but I think it's going to be something that feeling that energy in the room, right. And running with it and not getting too excited, but um, really finding that, that groove and then mixing that in while you're also going to be doing virtual communications as well. Right. Cause we've talked about it all year of this virtual communication is not going away for our groups, right? This is an amazing opportunity for us to, from five to eight, maybe we're doing a chapter meeting and an exec meeting. And then from eight to nine, maybe you're doing an exec meeting with a group that's halfway across the country or halfway across the region or whatever it may be, finding ways to make that impact as much as possible. I think that's gonna be fun to learn um, and I'm excited to see how our team does as well with adapting to that, right? You may be in Wisconsin um, one night, but then you're talking to a group all the way in Nebraska the next. So that, that piece, I think, of how to balance it all and, and find that, that groove, I think will be important for not just me, but for everybody. And then another area for continued improvement, I think just finding new ways to continue to learn and to grow. Something that we, it's not just a, a 2020 COVID-19 pandemic thing, but you've always preached this, Donnie, and, and it's been something that's been spread to the rest of the team leadership of continue to find ways to elevate your game. That's, I think, it's a constant, not struggle, but it's a constant battle to continue to find those new ways, right? The new challenge. And not every challenge is going to go the way that you anticipated, but finding ways to get better from it, no matter how it impacts you, I think that's going to be something that it's just the life, life piece, not even just a, a teak piece, but continue to find ways to put new obstacles in front of you and then overcome them. Yeah. That, I, you bring up an interesting point about jumping from a, an arena a stage, whatever that is straight to zoom, because it's not going anywhere. I, one of the other podcasts I listened to was talking the other day about how New York city announced that they're not doing snow days anymore. They're just doing remote learning days, which sucks. But, um, but schools are, are going to keep, remote learning even though they're back in the classroom and uh we're we're still gonna see offices go hybrid and and just that ability to bounce back and forth is going to be key and the ability to to manage your energy level and manage your endurance in a lot of ways that's gonna that's gonna be a new unique challenge it's not a oh i can just go back to the way it was before it's i have to now once again restructure my mindset restructure my skill set to be able to function in this this back and forth environment. So I think that's a, a strong point and uh, agree with you. Zach, what are tactics that you use to stay organized as someone who continues to work remotely? And if we have folks who are, who are tuning in, who are just starting to work remotely or folks that are graduating, we had a lot of graduations. Wow. If you, if you hit Instagram, if you hit the old IG or Twitter this weekend, right, it's just nothing but people in their graduation pictures. But uh, what are some tactics that you would share that you've employed to be organized during this, this uh, well, through the pandemic, but even post now and being a remote worker? Yeah, I think taking advantage of the cross-functionality between, right, all these different social media platforms, various things like Microsoft Office, right, and all of those little tools, 
um, Zoom, all these things are compatible. So finding ways to connect those, um, link your accounts and all those pieces. And then notifications, whether that's turning on calendar notifications, whether that's setting new reminders. Um, I'm a really big proponent for going into the notes, keep a couple notes, but then set an, a reminder on like my iPhone and you get those alerts, you get the calendar alerts, setting them as, as often as you need and recurring as often as you need. And I've got one for the podcast in the mornings and it's just one or the night before. And it's just finding ways that it works for you, staying on top of those things and making sure that the, the busiest part of your days are blocked off and organized however you see fit. But I think notifications and, and that cross compatibility is a really big piece because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to just log in, put the information in there, and then you start getting those notifications right away. Yeah. Yeah. That calendar, calendar management and using your, your tools effectively is maybe the biggest key to, to staying organized in the professional world if it's not something that you're doing as a student. Two pretty good thoughts there, Zach. That's why we bring you in. You've redeemed yourself from from not traveling to Mount Everest and uh, being usurped by Andrew. I promise, if I ever uh, end up at Mount Everest, I'll be sure to, to call in and we can record you're, on the spot. You'll hop on. That's that's good enough. You might have to use your phone hotspot. I'm not sure not sure how the Wi-Fi setup is out there, but um, all right, it was awesome. fun. This was fun. I'll see you guys somewhere in the world. Um, good time. Uh, we'll see, who knows where? Maybe all I'll right. Well, hey, Europe. You're giving the you're giving the social media team here at, at TKHQ some gold to work with. I yeah. I don't know know how they could uh, how they could see any negatives here. So uh, listenership through the roof next week. Can't wait! Can't wait! All see right. all that. Bye. Thanks, Zach. He forgot to say adios. I thought that had sort of become his tagline, and he just dropped a bye and, and split. <laughs> That's right. Just like that. Just like that. Redeems himself and then misses out on the, the Zach Scott adios call. Let's keep her moving. Dr. Richard Halgen coming at you right now. Dr. Halgen is a clinical psychologist. Uh, he has been a professor of psychology at UMass Amherst for more than 40 years. He also has an active clinical practice in Massachusetts and does quite a bit of work as well with some of the sports teams out there at, at UMass, as well as the Boston Red Sox, which appeals directly to my interests. Um, and perhaps most importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, he is a member of this fraternity, joined as an honorary initiate in 2016. So we are excited to have you on, Dr. Halgen, excited to talk some mental health as that is a, a big focus of the month of May obviously. But first and foremost, I know you mentioned the story of how you got involved with the chapter was was pretty interesting and, and unique and you joining as an honorary member. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear that story and, and kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of the conversation. Thank you, Alex. Actually, the story has to do with mental health. Uh, in February of 2016, one of the uh, brothers of the local chapter, Greg Cucci, asked me if I would speak to the chapter just about helping uh, young men derive you know, plans for becoming physically and psychologically healthy. So I spoke to the chapter on a Sunday afternoon. There were about 70 brothers there. And in the following week, about eight to 10 of them emailed me and said, this changed my life. I can't believe the message you told me was so, so important. Um, 
and I can go into the specifics of the message, but I was really touched by that, that, that it really was that influential. And the following week, the president of the chapter, Joey Merrill, reached out to me and asked me if I would consider becoming an honorary brother. And I said, absolutely. I was so impressed by the caliber of these young men, their commitment, their fundraising, their community service. Uh, that I agreed to become an honorary member. So since uh, the spring semester of 2016, I've met with the chapter. I've gone to every ritual that they've had, and I've met on a regular basis with each of the, the presidents uh, to basically walk them through how to deal with becoming a leader, serving as the leader, um, dealing with different kinds of challenges that would, would arise. And throughout each academic year, there's probably about 20 brothers that will reach out to me and say, can I just sit down and talk to you, you know, about a problem I'm not having, maybe a relationship problem or slump that they're in, or just not living up to their potential. Um, so that's really how I got involved with the chapter. And in terms of what, I, what the message was, I, you know, I'll try to keep it simple. I just said, you got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your mind. And you've got to take care of your soul. And it starts with self-discipline. So what are you doing with your body in terms of sleep, terms of nutrition, in terms of substances, um, in terms of exercise. And if you're not taking care of the machine, you're not going to be managing your anxiety or your mood very well. How are you taking care of your mind? How are you engaging in intellectual stimulation at this major university? And how are you taking care of your soul? How are you taking care of your values, your ethical standards, your priorities in life? And so it really has resonated with the brothers. And I, I've written a two chapters or two articles for the Teak National Magazine. And um, it's for me being involved with this chapter and with Teak has been a real privilege. And in this semester, they've asked me to serve as chapter advisor. So I'm just onboarding with that. So that's the background, that's, Alex. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I think there's a, a really fantastic lesson there about the value of, of asking people to join the fraternity, regardless of the, whether they're 18 years old or 30 or 40 or, yep. or 90 or 100 in some cases, right? You didn't really have any special tie to the chapter. They asked you to come in because they knew you from their studies. And now they have a, a lifelong friend and confidant and, and chapter advisor out of the, out of the whole relationship. So I, I, I wish more groups would do that. And, oh, you know. it, it's been great. I mean, just last Saturday, um, my wife and I have a, uh, an apartment in um, Brookline right next to uh, Boston to be close to the Red Sox and so on. And so the, there's seven brothers that rent a house in Brookline, seven Teak brothers who are alumni. They graduated in the class of 2017. They invited me to the house uh, on a Saturday afternoon. So I had a couple of hours. I went over there. They were so proud to show me how neat it was. It was absolutely spotless. It was impeccable. <laughs> and it, it, it was, obviously they cleaned it up for me, but we just sat around for two hours and it was just, it was wonderful. And over the past year or two that I've met with several of them in a local park or go for a walk or something like that. And I'm so impressed with their support of each other. When they're running into a problem, they literally get together. It's almost, I call it the teak halfway house. They get together and they really support each other through girlfriend problems or job stressors or anxiety. And every once in a while they say, this is, this is a big issue. You better, you better call Doc. They call me Doc. So they'll reach out to me and I'll meet with one of the brothers on a Saturday or Sunday and just walk them through it. But it was just so wonderful. I was so inspired to see the fraternity live on. These guys graduated four years ago. And the seven of them are all professionally employed, doing very, very well in life. But they're supporting each other, you know, physically. They, they challenge each other. 
<laughs> you like this. In January, they had a um, very strict month. No alcohol, no weed, no caffeine, no ghosting girls. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> and there's if, if you're communicating with a girl and you don't want it to go anywhere, you'd be respectful and say, I'm sorry, this isn't a good match. No ghosting girls. I said, oh, this, is, this is too much. No caffeine, no caffeine. <laughs> One of them told me he went out with a woman on January 31st. He was going out on a first date. And um, she orders a glass of wine. Goes, I'm sorry, I can't drink a glass of wine not until tomorrow night. And I said, Wow, you guys have discipline, and that's really what it was about. That you know, the message that I've tried to convey to them: it's self-discipline. Really set the standards for yourself, and you're going to feel better psychologically. That's something else. That's uh, maybe we need to institute no ghosting January across the entire fraternity next year. Right. We'll, we'll have to look into. I don't know if we have that power or not. I know. Um, I'd love, I'd love to go, go all the way back. I know you've been mm -hmm. at UMass for, for 40 years, 40 plus yep. years. Take us back. What got you involved in the field? What got you interested? Why did you decide this is the career that I want to pursue? Yeah, great question, Alex. You know, when I was in college, I, I thought I wanted to be a high school English teacher. I like to write, I, you know, I, I like to read and so on. And then I, I started doing some volunteer work one semester in college and I went to a county jail and, you know, we would go on Sunday mornings and just speak to the inmates and, you know, not, not do counseling, but really do some, some kind of support, you know. And I sort of like, I really did respond to, you know, just being able to connect with other people who were struggling. And then I worked at summer camps uh, with kids, some of whom had, you know, psychological problems. And I, and I found the, the work very rewarding. You know, I came from a family with actually with a lot of psychological problems um, within my own relatives. And I saw how some of them got very good treatment and some of them didn't. And so I was just inspired. And my advisor said, gee, maybe you should consider the field of, of clinical psychology. And I was very fortunate. I applied to Fordham University in New York City, um, got my doctorate there and met my wife on the first day of graduate school, was still married more than four decades later, uh, four grandchildren, two great uh, son and a daughter and four great grandchildren. So uh, it's, it's work that I love. And, and so I got to do the best of all worlds. They teach at the University of Massachusetts. And I also do clinical work. I'm the psychologist for the UMass men's hockey team, which by the way, just won the national championship uh, two weeks ago. And I do the consulting with the, the Red Sox. I write textbooks. I see about 35 psychotherapy patients a week. So I love what I do. And there's no better gift in the world than to have a loving wife and to have a job that you love what you do. Dr. Halgen, I want to thank you again for making time for us. I'm, I'm curious in, in the Teak experience and the, what the aspect that you shared in joining as an honorary member, many times our groups think about how how having this honorary member join the fraternity, how it's going to help them. And obviously, as you articulated, you've been extremely helpful. I'm curious for you personally and even professionally, how has your experience with the fraternity, how has it impacted you in terms of your day-to-day -day life or your professional life and how you continue to work with folks? Donnie, a great question. And has it impacted me? It's really a reciprocal kind of influence. I know that I have a positive influence on them and they on me. When I go to these rituals, Donnie, I, I, I'm almost in tears. The openness, our rituals will go three, four, sometimes five hours long in which we pass the gavel and every man will stand up and speak personally from the heart about something that's going on in his life. It can be a success. It can be a triumph. 
One man got into Yale Medical School a couple of years ago, the applause. Somebody may be dealing with the struggle. Somebody will say, I'm really profoundly depressed. I'm struggling with this. And the other brothers will turn to give support. So just seeing men allowing themselves to be that vulnerable, allowing themselves to be that open, um, and then turning to each other for support and getting that support. It's an inspiration for me. And then when I meet with them individually, you know, I'm inspired just by their dedication to really trying to be better men for a better world. And they are, they, they're really remarkable, the sacrifices that they make, the fundraising, the volunteering, especially when I meet with the leaders, you know, uh, just this, this coming Saturday morning, I'm going to meet with former president, Eric Emmer, we're getting for, together for coffee in, in Boston. And, you know, he's very, very successful now in the financial world. But when he was president of our chapter, he met with me at 7 a.m. every other Wednesday morning to talk about how he could be the best leader possible. To me, that was an inspiration. He's looking to me for advice. And I'm thinking, boy, this man is really a role model for his peers and certainly an inspiration for me. So it really is a reciprocal beneficial relationship. So I wouldn't give it up for anything. I really value it. I want to I want to dig in a little more to that aspect of vulnerability because I'm I'm assuming part of what you see in your day to day is that people aren't always willing to ask for help when they need it and there's a bit of a stigma especially amongst men probably even more so amongst fraternity men to I'll gut this out I'll take care of myself you know I'm maybe I'm struggling but I just need to suck it up how do you approach those types of situations and try and break down those barriers and get individuals to, to seek that help that, that you can see that they need? Yes, uh, Alex, often it's, you know, once they hear that one of their brothers has come and sought some help, you know, and it doesn't always have to be with me. You know, sometimes I'll say, okay, I can refer you to somebody closer to home or somebody with some special um, capacity expertise in terms of what you need. But, you know, when I do the presentations, it's sort of like just letting them know that we as, as clinicians, we're human beings. You know what tends to really open the door for them? And that is when they hear that, um, that I work, that I see professional athletes and varsity athletes. You know, I'll say whatever, without ever, you know, disclosing anyone's identity or anything, I'll say that, you know, in any given academic year, we've, we've got a roster of 28 um, hockey players, most several of whom are going on to the NHL. You know, they'll come into my office and they'll be upset about something. And these guys would be a 240 pound defenseman and he'll sit in the leather chair in my office and start crying when he talks about things. And I'll say, you know, that's OK. You know, it's OK. And I'll say, you know, the reason you're so successful in hockey is because you're so emotional. The challenge for you is to try to figure out what to do with those emotions when you're not on the ice. And the same thing with these fraternity brothers. You know, the reason you're successful in life is that you really have such drive and passion passion. What do you do with that, you know, when the situation isn't going right for you and just talking it out. And I say, if you don't want to talk to me, you know, sometimes just even writing out something that you're upset about, just releasing that almost toxic kind of emotion that is building up inside of you, that that can be beneficial. So sort of like once they get the go ahead, and then there's, of course, they, you know, they pass the word around, um, you know, sometimes the, the, the big, big, bigs will tell their little, you know, just this week, one of them met with me yesterday. So, so it's okay if you see my little he's you know he's struggling this year you know so once the word gets out that this is an okay thing and a beneficial thing then it's um it's it's acceptable and, and i think that's it's also been much more common 
um, for men to seek out help. In the last 10 years, I can see a dramatic change in that. You know, 20 years ago, it was unusual for guys to go to see a therapist or a clinician. Now it's it's commonplace, you know. I've got one athlete I just saw yesterday. He said, I'm telling all my friends, I said, don't, don't cry on my shoulder. I got enough problems. I'm going to my therapist this afternoon. Dr. Halgen, I can only imagine in, in four decades, you engage with a, a lot of leaders and, and we're lucky the folks that tune into this podcast, a lot of them are driven, just like you talked about these athletes, right? And, and they're driven folks, whether it be in, you know, in a boardroom or, or on the ice or out on the athletic field. I'm curious, are there aspects when it comes to analyzing these folks or the challenges across with the leaders determined by their style in terms of how they lead, right? Mm-hmm. Are there commonalities or is it very specific? Do you see, you know, there might be four or five or 25 different tactics that you take in, in how you engage with folks and, and try to get them in a better place? Yeah, uh, one of the things that I, you know, I certainly do, uh, uh, well, let me give the example of working with, uh, you know, the president of the chapter, um, you know, when he'll meet with me and I'll, I'll usually go to a chapter meeting and, you know, early in their tenure in the role of leader of the chapter, um, they'll start to be, oh, okay, everybody sit down, shut up, sit down. I'll say, no, 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 that is totally the wrong way. No, no, no. You've got to command respect. You stand there. You know, and several of them have taken my class. I teach a class of between 350 and 500 students. I just walk to the podium, the audience, the students become quiet. And I'll just say good morning. So you stand there and you command respect just by your presence. You don't have to be screaming, sit, sit down and so on. And, you know, the question is who's going to come up and sit in the triangle, always be, you know, four or five seats. And don't ask for volunteers. You basically say, John, sit in this chair, Kevin, over here. You know, you basically take a, um, not an arrogant uh, form of leadership, but one that basically communicates, okay, we are going to treat each other with respect. And part of the respect that I'm going to expect from you is that you adhere to our protocol here. And then I, you know, I work with them to apply that to other aspects of their life. You know, find a way to present themselves um, with confidence. Um, and I often use the word, you know, I'll say this even to the hockey players. I'll say, you know, you got to carry yourself with more swagger. And I don't mean arrogance. I mean confidence. You got to carry yourself, you know, with confidence. And I'll say this to, you know, the men that I meet with, the T brothers I meet with. They come in and they're looking down at the floor as they're talking to me. I'll say. Why are you looking at the rug instead of looking me in the eyes? And although if it's I wasn't, I didn't realize I was doing that. Or others will say, I know I do that all the time. Okay, this is something that you can change. So sometimes it's just those small kinds of behaviors you can capitalize on. You know, I, I gave it to the chapter last February, which was unfortunately our, our last meeting, February of 2020, because you know some of the brothers were coming in not appropriately dressed. Somebody was, um, you know, eating a sandwich. And, Somebody was looking at their phone. Said, "No, this this isn't the way we engage in, in a ritual. You know, this is this is a place that is very very special. It's a time that's very special." And they took it to heart. You know, they they sort of like just needed somebody to remind them that our standards are higher than just what you're going to do when you go into a basketball game. So getting those messages across. And, and you know, I, I find Donnie uh, and Alex that that they welcome it if you can communicate it in an educative way rather than a demeaning way. Uh, when I first started attending ritual, as they were passing the gavel, they were sitting down. They would sit down. There'd be 70 men in the room sitting down, talking. And I was saying, your leaders, stand up when you're speaking. Stand up when you're passing the gavel. And that changed the whole thing. 
you know, because half the times if somebody eight rows behind mumbling, you know, the, a leader stands up when he speaks. So just trying to train them in those ways. And they respond very positively, you know, and I do it in a very caring way. I don't want to ever make them feel worse about themselves. I want you to feel better about yourself. And it, and it works. It, it does. It does really work. I did not have the word swagger on the bingo card for this, uh, <laughs> this interview. So we, we hit, a, hit a new one. I'm sure that you have seen the, the, the mental health field in general transform a little bit in the last year, year and a half with COVID. You know, how, how is COVID, I guess, at a, at a larger scale, how have you seen COVID affect the mental health of college students or the individuals you work with? Are there new concerns? Are there new issues that folks are coming to you and raising that you, you hadn't previously heard because of the, the lockdowns, the distancing, the, the health risks and health scares, everything that goes with, with what COVID and, and the, the current situation has done to us? Alex, absolutely. Of, of all the years I've been doing clinical work, this has been the most challenging and the most difficult. Usually I'll see about 30 therapy clients in a week. Uh, now I'm averaging 40 to 45. Yesterday I did 10 hours back to back. And I'm just, uh, I'm not accepting any new people. I'll consult with the brothers if they're reaching out, you know, or hockey guys. But since last June, June of a year ago, I've had 20 former therapy clients return to, to therapy saying, I, I'm just losing it. You know, obviously economic pressures, relationship difficulties, loneliness, um, it, things that are just really, even people that felt that they had their act together were just suffering terribly. You know, the loneliness, the isolation, or the confinement, even people that were in a loving relationship, you know, we've all been through this. I've got a great loving relationship with my wife. I'm just fortunate I have an office to go to because if I was home seven days a week, this would be real challenging emotionally for each of us, you know? So all of those kinds of things. And, and for the college students in particular, it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's getting a little bit better now, but here at UMass, uh, the students who wanted to come back to campus could come back uh, February 1st, but 90% of the classes were remote. You know, the classes that had to be in person, such as lab classes and so on, <clears throat> were in person. But these freshmen were arriving on campus for the first time. We had no one on campus uh, last semester. And I, I walked around, they're picking up brown paper bags from the dining common to go back to their dorm room and eat alone. This is heartbreaking. I remember seeing a young man the first week of class leaning up against the, a glass door entrance to a building, you know, wondering what goes on in that building. So the loneliness and, and um, sort of like the, the despair, especially of college students, what a terrible way to start your college experience. So, you know, to the extent that the Teak brothers have been able to, you know, be supportive of each other, it's been very, very important. You know, so many of the students have not had that kind of support system though, and it's been hard. The mental health services have been over the top in terms of their demand for services. One aspect that, that we see many times, and I'm sure you do as well, is, and, and this is amongst men and women, is, you know, that weight that you feel to, to know it all or to be the most prepared, whatever that is. And I'm, I'm curious in, for you personally, how much do you continue to grow and study and evolve as someone who's been doing this for four decades? Mm -hmm. I think there's some good lessons in there, even if we have some of our students listening who feel that pressure, especially those graduating. And there's yeah. this thought you have to know it all versus that learning process that we all go through every day. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Donnie. You know, uh, I certainly am far from knowing it all, and I've been doing this uh, a long, long time. And I think it's really important for us to be humble. And, you know, one of the things I, I when I'm speaking to the brothers, in terms of not only do I give them the message of taking care of their body, their mind, and their soul, I also talk to them about talk to them about humility, um, the importance of acknowledging that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, and when we do make a mistake, admit it, um, apologize if we've offended somebody, um, laugh at ourselves, and just lighten up. You know, the men in teak here tend to be very high achieving individuals, and they've become high achievers because they've been successful academically, they've been successful athletes they are not good losers. And, you know, sometimes you have to learn how to be, lose with grace and goodwill uh, and to, to accept your limitations and to also realize there are times that we have to grow, we have to learn. I look at every day as an opportunity for me to learn something new. And when I don't know it, I, I'm fine to say, I'm, this is something I don't understand. One of the things I, I love working with young people about is I, I, they educate me so much. I know more about Snapchat, Instagram, Tinder, you know, I, I know everything. I know all the lingo. You know, I go home, I tell my wife this, this year, that they did what? They do they, what? What's going on? This is where we can have some great dialogue because you will you will keep yourself young and hip. The things that I can <laughs> tell my wife each night that I understand that sounds like a foreign language to her. Yeah, it's hilarious. One guy pulls out his phone. Oh, my best friend is having coffee at Starbucks in Wilmington, Delaware. I said, how do you know that? Oh, Snapchat map. You know, like, what, <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? You know, a lot of the, one of the things I also say is, like, come on, guys, lighten up with social media. Very little of this is benefiting you. So really lighten up how much you're glued to your, your smartphones and how much of it is really enhancing your life or detracting from your life. You know, I, I often give them the challenge. I dare, I dare you to go 24 hours and put your, your smartphone in a locked dresser drawer and not, not even have it accessible to you for 24 hours. See who can do it. They, they like freak out even at the prospect. Are you kidding me? You know, I'd rather go to prison in you know, some faraway state than give up my smartphone for 24 hours. Well, you said something earlier that, that triggered a question in my mind. You said that you saw 10 straight hours of, of patients or individuals that that came to you and were looking for guidance and assistance. I, I think of this in terms of if you're a physical trainer or a, you know, you're a workout coach, you kind of generally naturally stay in shape through your work, helping other people get fit. You as somebody who people come to for mental and emotional health, does that ever get draining on you personally? And how do you take care of your own mental health? Yeah, very good question, Alex. Yeah, it definitely does get draining. And it's, it's not a good model. I don't, you know, advise anyone to do 10 back to back. It's just every once in a while, it just happens in terms of my availability and the needs of the people that I'm serving. Um, but absolutely, I've got to take care of myself. And I'm so blessed to have a wife whom I love. And she was a professor at UMass also. She retired a few years ago. Um, but, you know, I, I go home every evening and you know, she has a beautiful meal. We you know, sit down for dinner. We always did uh, with our kids as they were growing up. Um, we just had our daughter and her family out for, for a week. So, you know, always having my family and the people I love as the top priority in my life. And, and from those relationships, I derive the fuel to, to do what I'm doing. And also taking care of my body. You know, I, I, I like to swim. I like to go for walks, you know. Um, just really taking care of oneself. And, 
you know, I, I'm very, I, I could work till 10 o'clock every night, five o'clock, you know, 5.30 at the latest, I'm out of here, I'm brain dead, go home, just have a nice evening with, with my family. And that's so important. Um, we always have to have those values putting our, our, ourself and, and the people that we love at the top of the list. And that's where you get the, the energy to keep doing it. But yeah, you got to watch. And you sort of like when you're in this business, you can't be, you know, think you're a Superman. You got to realize your limitations. And every once in a while, I have a patient that'll come my way that is beyond my competence or emotional capacity. I'll say, I, I need to refer you to somebody who's really going to be better at helping you than I can be. As we continue to work to break down stigmas and, and make mental health something that folks are comfortable going and asking for help, what does a session look like? We don't have to get in too specific, but essentially, are they typically 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour? Is this someone, the stereotypical way that a lot of us think, right? You go sit on a couch and, and have a conversation. If you can just yeah. paint a picture of what it looks like in that room for some folks, too, to create a sense of, okay, if I did go down that road and, and start to work with someone, what would that actually look and feel and, and, and be like? No, that's that's helpful, Donnie. Um, the traditional session after we, we start with somebody is usually 45 or 50 minutes, you know, in that 10 or 15 minute interval, I've got to do my notes, maybe I have to run to the laboratory, maybe I have to return a phone call. In the first session, I usually spend 75 to 90 minutes. Um, and most of the contacts are initiated by somebody. Nowadays, it's by email. Very, very few people will call. They'll email and say, I'm dealing with some issues, sometimes be very specific, you know, I'm dealing with anxiety or panic attacks or whatever, will you have time to see me? You know, and I'll say, okay, well, let's set a time. These are the available options I have. And when they come in, say I'm gonna meet them at uh, two o'clock tomorrow. I'll say arrive at two o'clock, let's plan to meet uh, 75 minutes and then leave a little bit extra room in case we go over. And during that time, I'm gonna try to get to know you and get a sense of what your concerns are. So when they arrive for that first meeting, I'm not gonna jump into what's your problem? Why are you here? I'm going to start out with tell me tell me about you you know tell me where you're from if it's a student what you're studying at the university who's in your family what are your interests and that sort of like lightens up their anxiety because everybody's walking into the situation it's going to feel a certain amount of anxiety sometimes shame and a real heightened sense of vulnerability so i want them to be in their comfort zone so they'll say i'm studying polymer science i'll say what, what aspect of polymer science. So that'll give them about three minutes to talk about something that they know um, and, and can speak about comfortably. And uh, then I'll segue into, okay, so tell me what troubles you, what, what brings you in now? And usually it'll be something, you know, anxiety or depression. And then, then ask them, well, why now? What, what, what prompted you to send me that email two days ago? And what I'm looking for is, some sense of the precipitant, you know, usually it's most often it's some interpersonal issue or problem with somebody that they care about, a family member, a significant other, a professor, a coach, you know, and then they'll understand. And usually they'll say, this is an issue that's happened earlier in life. So the approach I'll take is, okay, these are the issues that are, are currently bothering you. You know, you feel ang social anxiety when you walk into a a TIC meeting or something like that. I'll say, you know, most people feel that kind of anxiety, but, but give me some sense of the history in your life where it's been really problematic. And I'll say, okay, what we want to do is we want to see the kinds of issues that are recurring time and time again, because if something's really bothering you in April of 
2021. It's possible that there's a history there that goes back five years, 10 years or longer. And so if we can see that pattern, we can really just figure out, you know, why it's rising uh, and bothering you from time to time. And then, you know, what I try to do is wrap up the session by instilling some sense of hope. You know, I just want to give you a sense. This is a fixable problem. You know, it's much more common than you think it is. And that reassurance is just so, so comforting for the people. Many times after that first session, I'll get an email saying, I can't believe how relieved I am. I can't wait to come back next week and talk. And I also tell them, you know, this isn't a lifetime commitment. You know, we can meet three times or we can meet 30 times. You know, we can meet every week or we can meet every month. You know, I'm really flexible. What works for you is the approach that we'll take. My, my last question is, what are, what are two or three tips, tricks, whatever you want to call them that, you know, I'm sure every, I know every situation is, mm -hmm. is different, but just that you advise people, hey, to take care of your mental health, to take care of your emotional health, do these things occasionally, whether it's daily, weekly, whatever that is. What are some things listeners out there could do to just make sure they're checking in on themselves and trying to, to keep that mental health aspect? Sure. You know, I will repeat some of the things that I said at the beginning, you know, start with your body, your mind and your soul, you know, and I really put an emphasis on self-discipline um, structure in one's life you know, simple things like going to bed on a regular basis. Uh, one of the books I often recommend to the brothers is a book that was written by Admiral uh, McRaven. It's called Make Your Bed. And Admiral McRaven was the, uh, the commander of the unit that took down Osama bin Laden. And this book, which is a very simple, clear book, is just make your bed. And what, what he gets at is, you know, have discipline in your life. Start the day Yo, you got it. Oh, Donnie, you got it. All right. Very good. So start the day with a plan. I'm going to have order in my life. And when you leave your room or your apartment, and then you come back later in the day, you don't have this mess of dirty laundry on the floor, because that's a representation of what's going on in your mind and your emotions. So get order, get discipline, get into a routine, a regimen in which you're feeding your body, you're feeding your mind, you're feeding your soul. Believe me, that's the key to happiness. You know, it's really the key to happiness. And also the importance of turning to the people that you care about, you know, for support, both asking for support and providing support, you know, whether it's your family members, whether it's your teeth brothers, whether it's your significant other, don't be afraid to really speak out your, your thoughts and your needs. And if that's too, too daunting for you, write it out. You know, if you're upset with somebody, write a letter. Maybe you don't even have to mail it. Sometimes just literally sitting at the computer, typing out your feelings, it really, it sort of like releases a lot of that tension and that negativity that builds up inside of us. You mentioned one right there in your answer. Uh, my last question was around books, podcast. I'm a voracious reader. So other, other books or podcasts or even just other aspects, I don't know if it's a TV show, other pieces that you would you would suggest to folks who possibly are in a position where they want to learn more about this field or even just they something to put them in a better mindset? Well, it's really interesting because I usually rely on the young people to, to give me the list. You know, they'll give me the list. You know, they come up with these. There's that one book. Some of them have kind of foul titles, but but these guys are really into it. You know, they they have the self-help books and they're sort of like attuned to their generation that, that really works. So I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head. But one of the things I do recommend, Donnie, is I say, you guys got to read and read a book, a book book, a printed book, not on your phone. You know, one of the things I say, you know, just think about 
you know, some of them, so many of them will say I have a hard time getting to sleep. I said, well, how many of you getting to sleep looking at your iPhone, you know, reading text messages, reading emails, you know, YouTube, everything else. I said, that's like putting a flashlight to your brain. You know, it's telling your brain at midnight that it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Get a book and just read it. Turn the pages and ask each other. Believe this or not. Three of the Teak brothers in this Brighton house have a book club. They meet every Saturday morning or every other Saturday morning. So I said to them, I said, what, what, are, what are you reading now? You know, I'm thinking it's going to be some trashy novel. Ernest Hemingway, For Whom the Bell Tolls. I said, you guys, they just finished reading Steinbeck, Grapes of Wrath. This is, these are three young guys getting together. I said, whoa, are you kidding me? This is really impressive. So three of them at the Brighton House, Brighton, Massachusetts, right next to part of Boston, part of the city of Boston, getting together, reading Ernest Hemingway. It's pretty cool. You know, so they're they're the best feeders of, of good reading, that, you know, especially what's going to resonate with their generation. Well, that's uh, I think that's a that's a great place to leave it. And I think you've done a lot of a lot of really great work here in the last half hour or so explaining and describing some ways that hopefully our listeners can can take back and apply themselves and, and just can't thank you enough for your openness, your honesty, telling your story, your teak story, your personal story. Um, really, really appreciate the time. It's been my privilege. Thank you so much. Your questions are great. It's my honor to be associated with Teak. Thank you for thank the good you. work that you do. And we just want to thank Dr. Halgen one final time. That was uh, a pretty insightful conversation. That Throw that in with climbing Everest as realms that I have very little knowledge or, or information in. So for him to shed some light on what he does and, and how he does it, hopefully was extremely beneficial for me as a human being. Hopefully it was uh, beneficial for the, the listeners out there as well. I love when we get into areas that we don't have any expertise in and pick people's brain in terms of how their field works, how they engage, and to hear Dr. Halgen talk about his experience professionally, but also personally, and engaging with the chapter there, that's that's exactly what the fraternity is supposed to be, right? I know that many times in my role, my job is to get in front of a get in front of a lectern and, and to say a few words and talk about the organization. This is exactly what it's supposed to be, something where he's having this tremendous experience with with the group, the group is having a great experience with him and taking advantage of his expertise. And it just goes to show for any of our members out there, it doesn't matter what level you're at, going and engaging with folks that you might not think of normally engaging in and taking that chance, you never know what that could turn into. And thank goodness for the folks who reached out and connected with Dr. Halgen a few years ago to create the relationship and for him to be a member today. Yeah, yeah, tremendous resource for the group there at Amherst, tremendous resource for Teak as a whole, the more individuals, as you said, that we can bring into this fraternity who may not have had that that experience with the fraternity while they were in college, but still are craving that that brotherhood, that social circle, that that leadership development, character development, the opportunities there. So hopefully a lot more individuals just like just like Dr. Halgen in our near future. That is all for this edition of the Teak Nation podcast. One quick shout out that I forgot to mention at the top of the show, Dogecoin is on fire right now. All right. So this is many times I have to live my life in pieces because things get busy on the home front. Understood. 
I understood from social media they were going to make fun of Dogecoin, Elon Musk hosting SNL. Did that happen? And then it spun around and now it's going up. Yeah. So Dogecoin was way up on. I still, have, I still, I recorded SNL. I still have to watch it. It was way up on like Friday. Like Friday. It, yeah. Somewhere, somewhere around Friday. So you could also possibly Thursday or Saturday that like Friday equals Thursday through Saturday, I would say. Good to know. Then Elon went on SNL. It dipped pretty severely overnight Saturday and then slowly worked its way up again yesterday. It is back on the downturn here this morning as I look at it right now. But that's all right. We'll bounce back. We'll bounce back. Yeah. Got to just buy the dip. This no time like the present to get in on Doge. Get in on the ground floor. All right, listeners, you know what to do now. Podcast is over. You've... You've spent some time listening. You're looking for a like button to smash. Got to smash it. Look no further. Smash the like button. Subscribe. Tell a friend. And listen to us next week where we find out where Zach is. And uh, probably by that point, I'll be close to a millionaire with, with Doge skyrocketing once again. Thank you all for listening. It was fun. We always enjoy talking with you all. Please interact with us on social media. I'm begging you just ask a question, tell us you enjoyed your time with us here this afternoon, and, uh, and we'll go from there. So with that, uh, we will uh, we'll bid you farewell, and we'll talk to you again next week on the Teak Nation podcast. I forgot to tell everyone what day it was, too. No one cares. Really. Talk to you later. Really got out of my groove.